brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, today we are talking about uh, cartoon characters. Yes, that's right. Cartoon characters, the mentally ill. What we're trying to do and what I'm trying to go through is kind of explore the, uh, the mental illnesses of a lot of uh, cartoon characters that are out there and have been in the past. And uh, also kind of the impact cartoons have on kids and their thinking um, because nowadays with lots of single parents out there and lots of iPads, kids tend to uh, live in their phones and their iPads and their whatever those things are called. Anything that can carry a cartoon, they just live in those things. It's like their babysitter. And sadly, uh, a lot of parents leave it to do all their work. But, um, you know, the deal is, is just to get our arms around what, what markets cartoons, what makes them popular. And the fact is, mental illness for the be- since the beginning of all cartoons has been the forefront, the main core of what makes the personality of cartoons interesting to people to watch because it's not something average. It's not something normal. It's something that's abnormal but has human quality to it. So, you know, in looking at that, that's uh, kind of the direction that I wanted to take with this thing. But I also want to have some fun with it. You know, looking at this, you know, what do kids love to watch on TV mostly? It's undoubtedly cartoons, and it's not just TV. Once again, it's all forms of media, computers, iPads, phones. You know, they're a great source of fun and entertainment. You know, children really love cartoons uh, because many, many uh, reasons. They find human in cartoon form with cute, weird shapes and dress with colorful attire. You know, kids at three to nine years old usually start to watch cartoons. But at this age, kids have a growing mind with a lot of curiosity and fast learning capability by observing things. And that's why cartoons directly make an impact on their minds and their nature as well. Because it is better to lead children to watch a cartoon having a positive effect. And here, you know, I'm going to share some of those positive effects of cartoons on kids' minds. So, you know, children have a mind which is full of curiosity. It's always finding something new to learn. And in reality, They usually spend time at home or in school and in some cases with a babysitter. And and this means that they didn't really see any unusual or funny stuff in their surroundings. And so while they're home watching uh, a cartoon, they prefer to watch them because this is where they found all the funny and entertaining stuff. And also the the cartoon's voice, their dress, their activity, and many more uh, things tend uh, a kid Mm -hmm. to be falling in love with a cartoon character. So, you know, watching a cartoon show or a movie is considered as an imaginary world by children, which is full of entertainment. Anything's possible in a cartoon. There's also, uh, you know, other positive effects on their mind, you know, uh, uh, of course, cartoon characters are fictional, and and exact and exactly their lives and actions are not reality. But apart from that, uh, the message and the intention hidden behind every cartoon character is based on reality and the facts of life. And no one can deny that kids can learn a lot from cartoons. I mean, the curiosity and excitement of observing everything 
is is a car in a cartoon character in episodes. Let a kid uh, learn to observe new things and new surroundings, and this is how kids can explore real world uh, via imagination world. And at least cartoon might help them spark up the curiosity of knowing all aspects of real life. Also, positive effects. Uh, you know, there's role models. I mean, look at uh, like Dexter. You know, that's encouraging. Little Einsteins. Those are those are kind of cartoons that encourage a kid to learn and to uh, to become smarter and to take care of their mind and understand what science is. I mean, a lot of these car- uh, cartoon characters explore uh, ideas and, and potentials of what kids can actually do. Also, they uh, maintain good health, some of them. You know, the first thing is cartoon make us laugh by activities and doing creepy things. This is the reason why kids love to watch cartoons. And the research says that laughing keeps you healthy as it's kind of exercise, which regulates blood circulation as well. So that's one of the greatest aspects of watching cartoons and having laughter uh, makes you healthy. And yes, this is true. You know, various cartoon characters have very good physique mm-hmm. and are fitness freaks as well, like Popeye the Sailor Man. Uh, you know, the most famous cartoon character belongs to uh, spinach being uh, something that creates power and energy. Also, uh, it's interesting to know that kids who did not eat spinach have changed their taste now to uh, eat green vegetables. And, uh, well, that's news for parents, you know. Popeye actually generated people wanting to eat vegetables. That's amazing. Also, to, it's helpful to overcome and reduce stress. You know, by, by laughter, you know, it, it actually reduces the possibility of a heart attack. And these, these animated characters uh, have spiral up our life with, with happiness and humorous memories and scenes. And sometimes we remember those cartoons all the way into our elderly years, and they still make us laugh. And actually, that laughing keeps the production of, of endorphin in our body, and that's important for our heart and our mind. You know, uh, consequently, it, it helps us fight uh, bodily disease. You know, uh, also, it's helpfully uh, in learning colors and in learning uh, uh, visual uh, because uh, scientifically, it has been proved that our mind is more active when it comes to visual learning rather than other learning methods. And so that's why many institutes suggest seminars and lectures as video tutorials. You know, uh, uh, visual learning is extremely powerful up until about the fourth grade. At fourth grade, that is generally when kids begin to move into uh, the, the written learning and having to read a lot of material and take that in and assimilate that information. But visual learning is the primary tool up to about fourth grade. That's why a lot of kids struggle into fifth and sixth grade. But, you know, cartoons do give a lot of visual learning methods. Also, uh, you know, uh, play schools also prefer visual classes for kids. And, and, uh, and the same thing happens in cartoon characters. The point is by watching cartoons as uh, with beautiful animations and colors and scenes, a kid can learn various things at one time. You know, I remember, I'm very old, but I remember the impact of uh, Bambi. Watching that movie was incredible. Not only the color, but also the emotional aspect of his losing his mother and all the adventure he had to go through. Very powerful cartoons uh, that, that just stick with you forever. And also, you know, watching a cartoon makes a kid more loyal. In cartoons, there are families and friends, and there are cartoon characters 
they're 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 very loyal to each other, and they uh, often uh, speak the truth. And if this child is watching. Uh, a, a television or watching a cartoon, they will definitely affect their mind in a sense of loyalty to friends, being learning how to make friends. You know, uh, watching cartoons also enhances talents in children. They usually include dancing and singing, and uh, they usually include art. They usually include interactions. I mean, there's all kinds of learning that kids pick up in cartoons, and also. It also teaches, in some cartoons, respect for elders. Now, these days, cartoons are a little bit more sarcastic. However, uh, in the, some of the older cartoons and in some of the movie cartoons, you're going to see the respect for elders, which is a wonderful thing. Also, watching a uh, cartoon, a child can learn language and, uh, and talking. Uh, so, many kids actually can learn a foreign language by uh, watching Dora the Explorer. You know, uh, just that simple, it starts to begin their understanding that there are other languages in this world, which means them want to explore cultures in this world, which obviously we have a global economy, so that doesn't hurt us. Now, the negative impacts is obviously violence. You know, there's a lot of violence in cartoons. Uh, Ninja Turtles, you know, they beat up and destroy the army of the evil uh, Krang. And uh, there's broken arms and legs everywhere, smacked faces, uh, ruined buildings, destruction. Uh, Tom and Jerry, very old com uh, old uh, cartoon. You know, they, they, they fight and chase each other and they seek revenge all the time. And the same situation is with another older cartoon, uh, Bug, uh, Bugs Bunny, or The Roadrunner, which is Wile E. Coyote and uh, The Roadrunner. Someone always gets beaten uh, and pretty hard beaten. And uh, throwing a good piano on someone's head, gunshots, explosive in someone's hand or mouth, uh, is, is very realistic in some ways and frequently repeated and, or unpunished. And so it can teach a lot of confusing things to kids. Um, they become insensitive to others, uh, for pain and sorrow, uh, because they're watching these cartoons sometimes. They also do not feel discomfort from any elements of violence around them in real life. And this also includes, by the way, video games. Also, children are uh, prone to aggressive reactions and violent behavior. And on the Internet, you can find many other studies regarding this issue. One of them is the study of a scientist at, at Iowa State University where they found animated shows aimed at youngsters often having more brutal uh, programs broadcast for general audiences. Also, the, uh, cartoons can cause health problems. Uh, you know, these... Uh, they're less radical health issues, but there is nothing good in sitting in front of a cartoon or a video all day long. So, you know, anime also require a lot of uh, uh, – they tell a lot of stories in anime, and anime is a Japanese type of cartoon. It's very much towards life issues, and it, so it can, you can learn a lot, but they also take a lot of time. And so a lot of these kids get very addicted to watching these types of cartoons. And they also weaken if – if it's over a long period of time, it can weaken eyesight. And it may lead to uh, 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 spine curvature disorders. Lack of uh, physical activity also creates problem with obesity. And uh, many experts uh, stress negative impact of cartoons on speech development of children at the age of three because uh, psychologists also claim that watching cartoons is a passive activity in which there is no interaction required or pro proper speech development because it's not 
it's not a give and take situation. It's also it's just giving, giving, giving. Okay, also role models can be the negative impact. You know, watching cartoons, children often identify themselves with the characters. However, the problem is these characters are usually inappropriate for any identification since they are too aggressive or have supernatural powers or they can fly or they can shoot spider webs from their wrists, jump from the top of a skyscraper, uh, throw a lightning bolt, run faster than the wind, fall from the 10th floor, stay unharmed, you know, they beat 15 criminals single-handedly and stuff like that. I mean, it, it kind of teaches a strange heroic role model or beyond human. Also, these aggressive characters may easily uh, turn into role models uh, which, without the supervision of parents who will explain the difference between reality and fiction, they don't get that explanation if they're just exposing themselves to cartoons all the time. Now, I'm not focusing this whole show on kids, but what I'm trying to do is understand where we begin to get educated about cartoons is at that age of three to nine. Okay, now, what can we do to reduce negative impacts and make cartoons healthy, uh, you know, kids must have a balanced lifestyle in everything they do, including watching cartoons. Uh, parents need to control and limit the time children spend watching cartoons, uh, you know, maximum maybe one hour a day. You know, it's also parents must explain that the cartoon character in a certain scene has not been harmed, but that actually would be serious injury or die in real life because kids don't really always understand that. Uh, parents, some cartoons may have an age limit, and so you need to be aware of that. Also, broadcasters should have professional teams, you know, like uh, experts for children's programs, an editor and a psychologist that evaluate what should or should not be shown on television. You know, children are not, as far as cartoons are concerned, you know, children should not be allowed to watch certain cartoons whose content they can't understand. And also parents should provide cartoons to their children, which could have a, a positive impact on them. And it would be better if parents also watch and discuss the characters in the cartoon so they kind of get an idea. Now, okay, now here's some characters that are very famous and their disorders. Okay, now Batman. This uh, lead character of this uh, DC comic book series has an alter ego, which is uh, Bruce Wayne, and shows tendencies of a schizoid personality disorder or a schizotypal personality because he, he's like notorious for his inability to maintain long-term relationships. And he's likely to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, having witnessed his parents' death, and that possibly makes him somewhat depressive. I mean, he truly is a gothic character. With his real identity hidden, he he bends the laws and he takes risks, showing uh, antisocial tendencies. You know, it's interesting, you know, Batman is a very captivating character for a lot of people because he shows a lot of darkness and a lot of anger, but he also shows a lot of intelligence, a lot of uh, stability. You know, he has two different lifestyles, and I think a lot of us want to have that superhero lifestyle and want to have this normal lifestyle. A lot of people fantasize about that. But once again, he has a lot of attachment problems, which comes from post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, this whole character and this whole series that they developed and all these, uh, these uh, cartoons that are out there with Batman in them really focus on that alter ego which is what all of us tend to want to have. Also, we know that the, the, the minions of Despicable Me are exceptionally cute, and you would keep them as pets if you could, if you could have it your way. So who doesn't love their funny, silly antics, always goofing off, getting serious about everything around them? 
you know, they get easily distracted. They're shiny eyed by anything that is even strange to them. They're very keen on having fun. They're playful. They have adorable an ability to control themselves from acting on their impulses. All in all, they show and maintain the true absolute spirit of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. They are perfect for that. And I love them. <laughs> also, you know, the seven-year-old Dora from the well-known educational uh, children's cartoon show, Dora the Explorer, is adventurous and very funny. Uh, with a, Well, she's kind of happy, you know, not necessarily funny. You know, she's got a, a, a loves to travel. So she goes on journeys that are too risky for someone of her age and, and loses her way. And so to cope with the stress, she forgets about these. She also has a tendency to imagine friends. And she also hallucinates almost every object with a face, personifying them in her mind. Uh, she has what's called a dissociative fugue, which causes her to go on trips and forget all about them. While uh, paranoid schizophrenia makes her hear voices and hallucinate. I mean, she, that's kind of extreme. But the truth is, it, it, her character encompasses a lot of ingredients of those two particular disorders. All right, we're going to go into lots of more characters. I mean, tons and tons of characters. Disney, Looney Tunes, Winnie the Pooh, SpongeBob, all that fun stuff. We're going to go into that in just a little bit. We're going to take a quick break and come back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. and connected on our lively award-winning healthy living power hour star style be the star you are with hosts cynthia bryan and heather Brittany. live every wednesday at 4 p.m pacific on the voice america empowerment channel tune in to the power party for positive uplifting life-changing talk radio visit starstyleradio.com It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about cartoon characters through the lens of mental illness. You know, uh, if you look uh, at Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory, he's a cute little guy. You know, he's got his own secret laboratory and an annoying sister named Dee Dee. But what we, you know, look at is what in the world is this character all about? You know, if anything, it's the the hyperactive, distractible Dee Dee who, who uh, looks like she's in the need of some major help. But, you know, you have to observe carefully that Dexter actually shows the classic symptoms of autism spectrum. You know, he struggles with social interactions and he admits that he's unpopular. He has a, a limited range of interests with repetitive behaviors and a strange accent could be a representation of his communication difficulties. I mean, there's a lot of autism spectrum within the design of that character that, that certain kids can truly identify with. You know, besides these cartoon characters, the, there's also several other characters uh, that have... Uh, diagnosis and we'll reveal those in a little bit but uh, look at uh, Glenn Quagmire from Family Guy for instance this guy has a condition of hypersexuality you know uh, we're going to look at the Simpsons down the road here but uh, there's many characters that might be bizarre but totally make sense which perfectly explains the causes behind their strange behavior I mean look at Tom the Cat Courage the Cowardly Dog Scooby and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo all right, now let's look at the classic Winnie the Pooh. These characters are totally uh, major diagnoses with every single one of them. Look at Winnie the Pooh. He's got attention deficit hyperactive disorder, and this is more like the inattentive type. That means he's hyper on the inside of his brain uh, where he exhibits carelessness and an indifference behavior towards his peers without really exhibiting uh, narcissism. I mean, he does show compassion. He's just, uh, he's just indifferent, and he's careless. He's also impulsive with uh, obsessive fixations. You know, obviously, honey is his big fixation, and he grabs it everywhere he can, and he's even prepared to take risks in order to acquire it. And also, this fixation has also contributed to his obesity. So, uh, also... Obsessive compulsive disorder because he, he exhibits repetitive counting on top of that because he, he suffers OCD in combination with ADHD, which could, which could eventually contribute to Tourette's syndrome in later life. Guess what? So, But what I'm trying to say is this character is so focused on honey and so focused on that that he's ignoring, he's oblivious to almost everything else in his life. Also, Piglet. Uh, Piglet generalized anxiety disorder you know me he may have suffered a significant self-esteem injury in the past which is causing him great stress anxiety general nervousness he also suffers from a distinct speech impediment and this stuttering problem which might be related to an uh, irrational anxiety he experiences now owl owl and winnie the pooh Dyslexia. It, you know, it's so clear that he's dyslexic. However, it should be said that he's extremely bright despite 
the disorder. And if you notice in all his writings and all his stuff, when he does things, it's it's backwards. Also, Tigger, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Now, this is the hyperactive part of uh, ADHD. He cannot control his hyperactivity. What is worse is he's prepared to try any substance or matter that comes along his path which could indicate a substance abuse problem. I mean, also, he is extremely impulsive, which in turn could potentially make him a bad role model. Nevertheless... He is a social magnet, but those draw him and run him, it's a risk of getting in themselves into trouble because of this questionable behavior. But, you know, he's got that substance abuse type of mentality. And I'm not saying that it's in a negative light. And by the way, it's just exploring different ideas on these characters. We're not really trying to say bad character. What we're trying to do today is what's interesting about these characters also, Kanga. Kanga has a social anxiety disorder, you know, specifically overprotecting mothering. You know, she is clearly obsessed with controlling her young and will not let them uh, make decisions, make mistakes, or grant them any time on their own. And so this is common, commonly known as suffocation. Uh, look at Rabbit, obsessive compulsive disorder. He over organizes and is obsessed with order and method. Also, for a male character, he behaves extremely feminine, which in most cases would direct your classification of his character towards homosexuality. So, or a, a uh, unknown uh, doesn't know what his sexuality is. And so that shows there may be some complication in, in his mind. For, for a uh, cartoon this old, this is revolutionary that they actually exposed a uh, sexual uh, type of uh, communication to this character uh, way back when. However, you know, it's, it's got to be noted, of course, that this is merely an observation of his character and not classified a, a, a disorder of any kind. Homosexuality is not a diagnosis, by the way. Eeyore, oh my God, Eeyore, he's got a depressive disorder. It, it, it's called dysthymia, which is a flatline depression. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. It's just the same. And there's a lot of people like that. And, you know, he has a major general downcast and negative outlook on life, which renders him incapable of experiencing emotions like joy and excitement. You know, he could be a major, he's, he's basically a major depressive. And this disorder just lingers on and becomes part of their character. Look at Christopher Robin. Gee, obvious. Schizophrenia. You know, the imagination of Christopher Robin often manifests itself through auditory hallucinations. Where are all those above-mentioned characters uh, formed in his mind? Well, it's, it's very likely that these characters represent feelings that he experiences in his internal world. Since he's a child, he is still learning how to function socially and interact with the external world. So each character represents a different re reaction or feeling within himself as he learns to cope and deal with the external world. Now, let's look at some Disney characters. Let's look, begin with the Lion King, Scar. Now, he has what's called an antisocial personality and also a narcissistic personality. Scar's aggression towards Mufasa goes far deeper than the simple sibling rivalry. You know, it stems from deep-rooted symptoms in his antisocial personality, traits which can explain many of his despicable actions. Scar has 
utter disregard and violation for the rights of other people. He doesn't think twice about uh, luring Simba into a trap that will kill him or throw his brother off the cl- and, and then throwing his brother off the cliff. Uh, to his death. Added to that, we have Scar's deep-seated narcissism. He is fiercely devoted to his own thirst for power. Uh, He might be aware of destructive force of his power struggles on those around him, but it doesn't seem to matter. So as as, uh, for his tyrannical leadership of the uh, hyena population, Scar is arrogant, and demanding, and he expects everyone to follow his every whim, something that becomes apparent when he replaces his dead brother as the king of the pride. So in in The Lion King, Scar simply didn't care about the widespread damage caused to the pride lands. If anything, he was proud of the death and and devastation, although a distorted view of action and consequence meant he didn't have the foresight to see that this world uh, would lead uh, by a lack of food supply, it would come back on him. And, and so uh, he didn't make a very good king. And so he, but he does make a great example of an antisocial narcissistic personality. Now let's look at Captain Hook. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Obviously, poor Captain Hook. Most of his issues stem back from the horrific incident that occurred where Peter Pan chopped off his hand and fed it to a crocodile. In fact, given those tragic events, is it any wonder that he continues to lash out at Peter Pan and his own crew in a a desperate effort to maintain uh, some measure of control? What's even worse is that this crocodile continues to hunt poor Captain Hook. And with the alarm clock in his belly, its presence is always accompanied uh, by a tick-tock, sending the captain into a blind panic. It's a perpetual state of terror fueling PTSD as he relives this terrible event. Now, it, is, it isn't just the crocodile that causes him uh, to break. Any ticking clock will inflict the trauma, and it's this disorder that prevents him from breaking the vicious cycle that he's found himself in, hunting Peter Pan, desperate to exact revenge. He should be doing what any good pirate captain would do, set sail across the sea in search of plunder. But his trauma reaches the breaking point at the end of Peter Pan where he loses his boat and is chased by this crocodile across the sea. So, you know, if you listen to those screams, this is a man hunted to breaking point. And so he is a great example of what PTSD is all about. Now let's look at Elsa in Frozen. Agoraphobia. Elsa's powers can cause a very real threat to people around her, so much so that you could argue that her paranoia early in the film is fully justified. That being said, the two powerful events in her childhood, almost killing her sister Anna and the death of her parents at sea, are the triggers for a very clear dysphoria, uh, dis- dis- disorder, her agoraphobia. Agoraphobia. You know, the young, this princess, Elsa, shuts herself away, refusing even to see her sister in the years leading up to her coronation as the queen. And that event itself is, is a very obvious sign of distress for Elsa. She spends the ceremony and the celebration afterwards in a state of half panic. 
you know, shutting herself away. She seems only the solution she can have is to shut herself off uh, to protect Anna from her subjects and Anna and her from herself and her from hurting her subjects. You know, the, her powers almost destroy her. So when Elsa plunges the kingdom of uh, Arendelle into the deepest winter, she basically flees. But as soon as she is isolated from everyone, she returns to her old habits, creating the ice palace, shutting herself inside. It's only when Anna shows her that her sibling love is greater than any threat does she finally break the cycle, realizing that in gaining acceptance from other people, she doesn't need to hide away any longer. So there's a lesson to be learned there, but that disorder, uh, you know, agoraphobia just grows and grows and grows, and it's very hard for people to get away from that. Now let's look at Jafar in Aladdin. This is what's called sociopathy. You know, the majority of Disney villains are sociopaths, antisocial, they lack any sense of moral responsibility or social conscience, whose behavior often uh, dovetails into to like uh, criminal activities. So they will uh, nonetheless, you know, be very charming and manipulative in order to achieve their goals. But of all the villains, Jafar is absolutely the top of the food chain when it comes to these traits. You know, in his uh, uh, royal uh, guise as the royal vizier, uh, Jafar is very well suited to carry out the amoral schemes that he develops. I mean, he pretends to bow and whimper to the sultan, and then he has no qualms about sending innocents to their death in pursuit of the lamp uh, with, at the Cave of Wonders. So, you know, Jafar basically manipulates Aladdin into uh, the guise of uh, the old man. And so once he learns that, that uh, this hero, Aladdin, is one who can uh, retrieve the lamp, all of the sudden uh, taking the lamp and making a wish more greater than the last in pursuit of power, he views himself as uh, superior to this genie, you know, which is a very strong assumption, and it becomes his downfall when he's trapped within the lamp. So the sociopath will stop at nothing to get what they want, and they're plotting, and they're scheming, and they're more dangerous than a, an openly aggressive villain. They have this sociopath quality in Disney villains is extremely important to those type of characters. Also, Pocahontas. Well, you know, schizophrenia. Anyone who regularly chats to a tree for advice is clearly facing some serious mental issues. But for Pocahontas, a conversation with Grandmother Willow is far from the end of her delusions. I mean, this Native American princess also happens to uh, uh, shamanic powers. You know, she, she can communicate with animals and spirits and, and speak to unknown languages and, and prophetic dreams. The sad truth is poor Pocahontas is purely schizophrenic. Wandering off from her tribe, she spends her days playing out her delusions in the wilderness of rural Virginia uh, and the shock announcement that she's going to be married to one of her father's warriors only increases the intensity of them. And it's also, uh, is it any surprise that Grandmother Willow convinces her to follow her own path? The arrival of John Smith, the settlers only confounds the further issues, you know, facing strangers from another land, people who are utterly different from Pocahontas and her tribe only makes her situation worse. So the line between reality and delusion is clearly blurred for her. As for John Smith, 
He's suffering from delusions or, or something much more insidious. Listening to her Colors of the Wind song and having an awkward introduction to Grandmother Willow, perhaps he simply plays along just to uh, satisfy his lust for his native princess. So all he can claim in her is uh, being her wife and taking her back to England as his exotic bride. But Pocahontas isn't such a sweet love story now, is it? <laughs> Cruella DeVille. You know, psychopathy, psychopath, to be one of the top of the food chain, to reach the pinnacle of your career, to have success over others, you have to be the best of the best. And sometimes psychopathic personality is a great advantage as you can quickly climb the ladder. After all, you know, how do you beat your competition if you have any empathy for them? How do you stand out for a promotion if you're not bold and uninhibited and equal in measure, think about when you talk to your boss on Monday. Cruella is absolutely a psychopath. She lusts for power, wealth, luxury, does not let her feelings for others, not even a high school friend, Anita, get in her way. She has no empathy, no consideration. She wants and she takes. The fact that she's willing to skin 99 puppies just to have a new Dalmatian coat well, you know what they say about the trend between killing animals and people. Animals are just the first steps towards something much darker. Cruella is also cruel. You know, she mocks Roger's music career in front of him and Anita, and she's prone to outbursts of violence. She's also demented when she chases the truck containing the puppies, ramming them off the road. I mean, these traits that transferred so wonderfully to live-action version of 101 Dimensions with Glenn Close's Cruella is the head of a fashion house and used by her psychopathic traits to rise to power. Amazing character Cruella DeVille as far as being a psychopath. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to get into some more characters. We're going to talk about Charlie Brown. We're going to talk about Looney, Looney Tunes and some little uh, SpongeBob and some life lessons. Come back. <laughs> us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back. Okay, we're looking at the diagnosis through cartoon characters and how they reveal uh, a mental illness. You know, let's look at Maleficent, you know, and we're working on Disney characters at this point. But, you know, Maleficent, Angela Jolie, but guess what? Borderline personality disorder. This is known to be at least heard to be and it's that Angela Jolie actually suffers from this but this character actually personifies a borderline personality disorder this is the greatest Disney villain of all time I mean Maleficent is the embodiment of evil seeking to destroy anything and anyone who stands before her she inflicts a curse of uh, King Stefan's kingdom by tricking his daughter into touching a, a spindle and sending everyone to sleep she torments uh, uh, Prince Philip with visions of a horrific future, and oh, and she turns into a badass fire-breathing dragon. But is she vindictive, foul-tempered, violent sadist because she's evil, or is she something more? Perhaps you know the real truth is that she acts the way she does because she is mentally unstable. The sad reality is that Malef- Maleficent is a borderline personality. She Let's take a real look at some of the symptoms of this illness. Intense fears of abandonment. Perhaps the events of Sleeping Beauty would have been averted had Maleficent simply been invited to uh, Aurora's uh, christening. Also intense anger at perceived criticism or hurtfulness. Again, most people would voice their, their opinion simply to you know, stay away. You know, a Maleficent inflicts a... Uh, a uh, a curse on Princess Aurora and the entire kingdom. You know, obsessive personality and violent mood swings is also another ingredient. Maleficent doesn't give up simply because Aurora is hidden away for 16 years. She is relentless in her pursuit of this princess, striking out violently at anyone that angers her, particularly her her, her goons. And, and she's a real dragon. And when she gets really angry... You know, and perhaps Flora, Fauna, Meriwether actually dealt with the issues at hand rather than devoting their time to opposing poor, unstable, maleficent. Things may have turned out very, very differently in that situation. Now, let's look at one that all of us love, Ariel. Kleptomania. Yep. Also, body dysphoric disorder. Snow White might stack up with the seven with with seven complete strangers and sing to the woodland creatures uh, you know a, a very disturbing trait she shares with princess aurora but neither have anything on ariel a seaborn kleptomaniac who has some serious issues with her body image and a complete lack of personal identity you know rather than live the life of a princess in the royal court of king trident ariel spends her time Stealing treasures from shipwrecks of poor men and women who are lost at sea. Who are, you know, we're sure they didn't imagine their prized treasures would be hoarded up in a sea cave by a mentally unstable half girl, half fish. But 
thieving from the dead and uh, is the least of Ariel's issues. Her body dysphoric disorder means she behave, believes her body is defective and needs to be fixed in order for her to be whole again. So it's for this reason she becomes fixated on humans, particularly Eric. She goes as far as to indulge in black magic to fix herself, ridding herself of her tail fin in favor of legs. I mean, she's a human trapped in a mermaid body, and she goes to the extreme measures to correct herself. So let's hope someone picks up on her identity issues and her kleptomania now that she's married to Eric. Otherwise, she'll find herself not belonging anywhere again. You know, there you have it. Childhood films destroyed with harsh reality of our beloved fragile characters mental illness that's not to say these characters are any laughing matter they're very serious mental health disorders but you know these people are heroines and villains and we see them as people now let's look at charlie brown you know if you thought that charlie brown cartoons were solely entertainment you are wrong there are some viewers that theorize that the peanut gang symbolize a whole variety of mental disorders um and let's look at linus Schizophrenia. People with schizophrenia oftentimes find it hard to separate what's real from what's not real, which is actually what Linus does in The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Among his friends, Linus is the only one that truly believes in The Great Pumpkin is real and gives out presents every Halloween. Let's look at Lucy. Psychopath. Characterized partly by antisocial behavior, people with psychopath appear normal but often lack conscious and leaving them little to no empathy for other people's feelings. You know, we see this time and time again as Lucy continuously tortures the rest of the kids in the group for her own amusement. Schroeder, passive-aggressive. People who are passive-aggressive are described as being moody and then suddenly withdrawn. They withhold their emotions and they don't effectively communicate their problems with others. And this can most effectively be portrayed through Schroeder's relationship with Lucy. Even though she has apparent feelings for him, he completely disregards her and sinks back into play his piano. Let's look at Sally. Learning disability. You know, why Sally may not have a personality disorder like other Peanuts members, it's pretty apparent that she does not have a learning disability, that she does have a learning disability. Oftentimes, she doesn't put forth much effort into assignments and continuously has trouble giving reports and mixing up words and sounds. Let's look at Pigpen. Obsessive compulsive, commonly known as OCD. You know, Pigpen can in some ways be described as a hoarder. Though Pigpen's appearance and lack of hygiene, it can be inferred that his home is just that messy. And perhaps he has a deeper issue. Uh, and where is that bar of soap for this dude? You know, Charlie Brown, he is dysthymic, like Eeyore, depressive. Probably the most obvious of Charlie Brown characters is himself. You know, in the words of Lucy, Charlie can be described as moony, self-centered, and dull, which can be directly correlated to the description of dysthymia depression. Just like Charlie Brown, people with dysthymic depression are usually described as pessimistic, self-critical, valueless, and discouraged. Now, let's go to Looney Tunes. Bugs Bunny. This toothy, uh, gray, carrot-munching rabbit is one of the most popular characters but while his behaviors are funny, he has something disturbing. He shows rapid mood swings and acts on impulses. You know, he questions incessantly. You know, it, it's likely that he has a borderline personality. 
But that's not all. He's vengeful, and he maintains extreme calmness when performing acts of extreme cruelty. He is hugely manipulative, uh, uh, applying reverse psychology ever so often. You know, he, he adopts disguises, especially of women, to distract Elmer. All of this is part of his con. So these traits are social, uh, antisocial personality traits. And it's interesting, this character is so loved by so many people. Sylvester, you know, through Sylvester, it's generally seen he's very, you know, uh, a cunning cat who terrorizes Tweety Bird. And if most of, uh, mostly Sylvester himself who has to suffer because he's subjected to many painful events. And yet he is, un he won't break from the, uh, this dysfunctional relationship with Tweety. He is so dependent on this toxic relationship that he tries to hurt and gets hurt. And this vicious cycle just continues. And yet he doesn't let go. So besides his codependency traits, he also might have some kind of bulimia uh, rooting from his relationship. Bulimia explains his inflated body and his obsessive eating and uh, regurgitating uh, of uh, Tweety. Also, uh, look at Pepe Le Pew. He is so self-absorbed. He is a romantic skunk who fails or falls hopelessly for Penelope the cat. You know, Peppy is obsessed with having an intimate relationship with this poor cat, trapping her in his arms every, every now and then and having romantic fantasies of love. This is all indicative of hypersexuality or to be more specific, uh, you know, narcissism. You know, his personality is, is quite apparent. You know, he's got pride. He, he fakes his death to manipulate. Penelope has no regard for her consent and probably can't imagine that she might not be interested. Marvin the Martian. This little man from Mars with a pet dog has a, a, a very uh, high ambition to conquer the world and is probably trying to compensate for his stature, indicating that he suffers from Napoleon complex. In this process, he can, without remorse, disintegrate anyone who comes in his way with a calmness that only shows an antisocial personality. And this further explains his disregard for safety. You know, strangely, he believes he can single-handedly take over the entire Earth, an impossible task, even for the most advanced technology at his disposal, but he clearly stating that he has a delusional disorder. Look at Granny. Granny is warm. Granny is adorable. She is capable of doing everything from a schematic spirit dancer to a bird whisperer uh, to a crime fighter to a kung fu master, except she is very old and she's probably suffering from a case of Alzheimer's. You know, clearly her feats and her talking to a bird are nothing uh, but her delusions. And she shows many signs that are commonly considered symptoms of Alzheimer's. You know, her early works uh she can she has this onset of dementia while gradually she becomes more and more delusional she also shows tendencies of confusion language breakdown even irritability and aggression look at porky pig you know he might have been a, a minor character but the lovable pig uh, found his place on the logo of the show, bursting through the drum. I mean, he has a bent stance, and with his legs and his spine slightly bent and his arms uh, often, uh, you know, akimbo, he has a, a stuttering problem. And these can be considered indicators of what? Parkinson's disease. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. 
You know, uh, it also has uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder stemming from ridicule because he has to face his speech impairment. He also, OCD, explains his obsessive and repetitiveness and his anxiety. Look at Daffy Duck. You know, with this explosive energy, agitated attitude, is another leading character and has classic symptoms of attention deficit syndrome. And and this is probably why he is so easily distracted. Besides short attention span, hyperactivity, high energy, all of which direct towards ADD, he also has other problems like insecurity, poor social skills, outbursts, tempers, delusions, hallucinations, disorganized thoughts and speech, which could be uh, schizophrenia. So his suspicion about everyone could be the signal also of a paranoid personality disorder. Okay, so those are some Looney Tunes characters. Now let's look at SpongeBob. You know, on t- you know this character. Uh, you know, when taking a deeper look, it is clear that the character SpongeBob suffers, but from multiple disorders that plague him almost every episode: agoraphobia. And, you know, uh, SpongeBob, you know, do you remember when he uh, broke his butt? You know, SpongeBob becomes intensely afraid of leaving his house because he thinks he will get more injured. This fear of outdoors and public places is agoraphobia, an anxiety disorder. And this causes him some extreme dysfunction when he won't leave the house because he won't go to work. Also, dissociative identity disorder. Uh, That is another thing, multiple personality. And, uh, by the way, my next show is going to be on multiple personalities, which is dissociative identity. You know, is SpongeBob real? Then uh, DoodleBob would definitely be one of his alters, an alter that is one of many, a few personalities that a person with DID have. You know, these alternate personalities tend to have a different physical appearance, voice, intelligence level. You know, DoodleBob was directly created from SpongeBob's mind and is very violent, unintelligent, and differs from him physically. So you would frequently find DoodleBob attacking people and screaming gibberish. Bipolar 1. Also in SpongeBob, somebody with a bipolar disorder, otherwise known as a manic depression, experiences episodes of extreme highs and then depressive periods of extreme lows. You know, uh, dissociative fugue. SpongeBob also experiences symptoms of this by uh, uh, in which he drops everything in his life. He forgets his past. He starts a new life in a new place. Um, and uh, it, it basically, if you look at one of uh, the series, I think it was called Nature Pants, SpongeBob goes so far to get butt naked and join the jellyfish in the wild, thinking that he's now one of them. Obviously, ADHD, which we've talked about, is another problem. Okay, let's look at The Simpsons, Bart Simpsons, ADHD, and possibly oppositional defiance. Marge, obsessive compulsive disorder, general anxiety. Lisa, Possible autism or general anxiety. Homer, mild uh, mental retardation or borderline intelligence, more likely borderline intelligence. Mr. Burns, obviously, is a narcissistic personality. Smithers is a delusional codependent. Comic book guy is autism. Nelson Munns is an oppositional defiant and an anger management. Moe is a depressive Abel Simpson is early stages of Alzheimer's. Snake is an antisocial. And Barney is an alcoholic. All right. So uh, let's move on. I want to say 
thank you to everyone that's as far as we can go with our show. But once more, we're going to talk about multiple identities, dissociative identity disorder mm-hmm. in our next show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember, trust you issues begin when you realize a chocolate chip cookie is a raisin cookie. Also, suppressed laughter goes back down to your hips. All right. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.